Welcome to the Lopes Insider Podcast, presented by Commonwealth Insurance, the way insurance should be. Giving you an exclusive look into Grand Canyon University Athletics with news, special guests, memorable flashbacks, and more. It's the Lopes Insider Podcast. On this episode, two GCU head coaches join us to update their programs just before the fall semester begins. We have Tim Nolan after his turnaround season at the helm of Lopes Women's Volleyball and Chris Sissel, who is in his first year running GCU Women's Soccer. All this and more on episode 14 of the Lopes Insider Podcast. Well, welcome again to the Lopes Insider Podcast as we embark on episode 14 of all things GCU Athletics. To find out what has been happening, let's get right into it with the news and the notes. Well, Paul, one of our favorite days of the year, we get to start counting down the days to basketball as the men's schedule was officially unveiled. Can't wait for some of these games. Yeah, we, of course, knew already about the annual downtown trip to the Suns Arena for the Colangelo Classic, this time against San Francisco. But to add to your excitement, the Lopes host San Diego State, traveled to Nevada, also to San Diego, and they're going to play in a Vegas Thanksgiving tourney against Santa Clara Ooh. with a potential second-round matchup against DePaul or New Mexico, winners and losers matchup. And that that's just a glimpse. Head to gculopes.com for the full schedule. Take a look on social media for a fun take that gamers should love. We're really appreciating the idea of seeing some games, especially with Bryce Drew's first team. Yeah, all in all, 17 home games as of right now. Conference play will bring a lot more intrigue as well, Paul, with new WAC members, Tarleton State and Dixie State. So just an all-around exciting time and interesting schedule. Cannot wait for that one. And we also talked previously, Paul, about how GCU golfers have been able to stay competitive. Well, one lope did a little more than that. For sure. GCU senior Trevor Lampson won the Arizona Stroke Play Championship in a four-round grind of heated, emphasis on heat, competition <laughs> at uh, Greyhawk in Scottsdale. I mean, yeah, it was brutal. 115 out there about every day. That gave the, the Lopes a sweep of the Arizona Golf Association summer major tournaments because Jake Channon, a graduate, had won the Arizona Amateur two weeks prior. Well, that's a wrap on news and notes. Keep up with your Lopes on GCULopes.com or the GCU Lopes app. All right, it is trivia time. One member of the GCU coaching staff won two individual NCAA championships as a student athlete. Do you know which Lopes head coach it is? Y'all have pretty good odds at this one if you know your Lopes. He said it's a head coach, so there's 15 possible answers. All right, we'll reveal that answer at the end of the show. But now, let's hear from our guests. Tim Nolan is in his fifth year as the women's volleyball coach and is poised to build on last season's breakthrough season with most of the standouts back and a stellar recruiting class entering. But the pandemic threw Nolan a wrinkle, delaying the fall season and forcing the staff to change its plans on improving from a 24-6 season. Nolan talks about it with Paul Coro on the Lopes Insider Podcast. No team at GCU made a greater improvement last season than Lopes Women's Volleyball, which had the fifth best victory jump in the nation with a 13-win improvement and a 24-6 mark that was 26 nationally for winning percentage. The architect of all that was Tim Nolan, who is entering his fifth year at the helm, and he joins us now. Tim, do you still get the, the warm fuzzies just thinking back to some of those things you accomplished last season? 
Uh, yes and no. Yes, because it's great to look back and see all the wonderful success we had and, and see a plan that we had laid in place uh, that took you know some time to develop, really come to fruition. But no, because I'm ready to play already. I want to play again. <laughs> <laughs> and you're probably dwelling on the last game, right? Not the 24 wins, but uh, getting to a WAC tournament championship and being so close to that NCAA goal. Yeah, you know, you always think about the one that got away. Um, I, I thought our kids had a great year, and and, and quite honestly, we had a great WAC tournament. Um, I would love to play that match again. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, we had put ourselves in a great spot to win it, and we just – some things didn't quite go our way like in sports, you know. it's uh, Sometimes you got to have a little luck on your side, and, and we just – you know, we came out second on a rally here or a rally there, and it just kind of really – kept us behind the eight ball but yeah i would love to play that one again for sure and like you were saying before you'd love to be playing anything obviously this is a difficult time right now with covid19 and the whack delaying your season to the spring what was that day like when you had to deliver that news to your players uh you know well it's challenging you you feel for the players um you know you certainly understand the wax decision and and why they made it you know and and i support that and you know, we are always looking out for our players' health and safety first and foremost, without a, without a doubt. Um, but it's still tough. You know, the players want to play. They want to compete, um, you know, and, and we've put plans together, you know, nine months ahead of time in advance and, and have been diligently working on them. And the players have been doing their part. And to have it kind of all get postponed, if you will, is difficult. Uh, however, the silver lining is, you know, we told our players for the last month or so is, look, we can't control this. Uh, this is something that is is beyond our capability to control. So we need to really focus on what we can control. And kind of our mantra in the, in the practice gym and the weight room has been when we're finally told we're allowed to play whenever that date is, because then we, we didn't know if it was going to be in September, or October, November, or, you know, January to March, whenever it is. Uh, when they finally tell us we can play, we're going to be ready. Um, and, and that's kind of been our, our mantra and our battle cry through this whole thing. Seems like so much to take in on top of the personal relationship you have with your players and getting them through this. But what does this now encompass for you as far as changes and challenges and training, practicing, scheduling, recruiting, all that? Uh, well, yeah, we got to take our nice, really eloquently laid out block that we had spent seven months on developing our you know training routine and and progressions and benchmarks we had to hit by certain dates and because everything is it has to be statistically relevant so you know we have all this data that we collect and benchmarks we have to hit and training areas we can focus on and we kind of crumpled it up and threw away and started over about a, a week ago <laughs> um, so uh, that part's been challenging. I, I challenge my staff to uh, to create something fun and innovative where we can keep our student athletes engaged and continue to get better and to find a way to, to get ahead of the curve. And they've really answered the call so far and done a great job. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to, to work with some of the best and the brightest. And, you know, we've we've taken this as a, a challenge. You know, how, how can we use this to our advantage to get ahead? Um, you know, in every situation, there's going to be people who have been forward thinking and people who have been reactionary. And, and we're certainly trying to be forward thinking and trying to figure out how we can use this to make GCU volleyball even better than it was before. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going with it. Um, I actually just started working on what a schedule might look like in the spring and, you know, trying to figure out matches and, and who we could play locally and drive to and that sort of stuff. And 
just trying to be ahead of the curve. And then we're trying to figure out what recruiting is going to look like because that is our traditional recruit season. And if we're actually playing matches on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, you know, we won't be recruiting those nights. So we're trying to be really inventive and creative on how we'll be able to go out and see prospects, still train our team, uh, and, you know, still be able to give the both or the best of us to both fronts, you know, the recruiting and, and the current team dynamic. And it's a challenge, but uh, we're up for it and we're ready to meet it head on. Well, I suppose the good thing is you picked up some big time help in navigating all that with Jeff Liu, who joins your staff with the assistant A.B. Sailor and director of volleyball operations, Kendall Rohr. He's been a technical coordinator for USA Volleyball, among other college experience. But what what's the biggest things that he's bringing to your program? Oh, he's just he he's so good at what he does. Um, he he understands the game very very well. Obviously, working with uh, Karch Karai and and the national team staff and getting ready for the Tokyo Games, and and he'll go back with them for Tokyo next summer. Um, but he just understands, you know, the benchmarks and you know brings in the training ideas they're using there in their gym, which. Honestly, we had mirrored for a while, um, but he brings in some new ideas and some some fresh looks for it. And, you know, it's just a, another new voice in the gym. And, and certainly his credibility with the players is, is immense. And he's just done a really good job of kind of pinpoint exactly where the metrics are that we can have the biggest gains in the shortest amount of times. And that's kind of what we're attacking first. That's got to be the the real killer. All this is the the promise you had for this this team with nearly all your top points scores coming back after the run you made last season, how were you feeling about what you were going to do or can do in the spring? Yeah. You know, we were super, super excited about the fall season. Uh, There's no other way to describe it. You know, we were talking about unfinished business, talking about the areas that we had to get better. And the players were so good at buying in and understanding that while it was great to reach the WAC championship, that was certainly not our end goal you know, that we had bigger aspirations and things we wanted to do and they, they were ready to tackle them. And so finding out that that was, you know, at least postponed, uh, was challenging. Um, but you know, trying to redirect them. So to have a positive mindset for it and, and use this as a way for us to get farther ahead down the road to those goals is what we're trying to do. But, you know, there, there's no other way to say it in that we were, really excited about, you know, GC women's volleyball in 2020. And, you know, with the freshman class we have coming in and all the returners we had, we thought we had something really, really special. And we still do. We just have to wait to see it. What things on the court were you going to be able to do next season now that you have a team that's more established in roles and and experience? Well, we get to, we get to add a couple wrinkles, uh, you know, block scheme wise and offensively. Um, you know, having a healthy Claire Mitchell is a, is a big deal. Um, you know, and she gutted out last season and and performed remarkably well, but, but she was nicked up or banged up. Uh, and so to have her at, at full go has really been a fresh start for us and allowed us to open up the playbook and do some other different things. Um, and then defensively, we were really working on, on the blocking side of the game, uh, and just, you know, better reading and some different stuff. And it, it takes, it takes veterans to be able to do those things. Uh, you can't overload young kids with it just because they're trying to catch up to the speed and everything else. And we had made that jump the, the previous year. So this year we were ready to evolve and, and really get into the reading of the game and things like that. So I think those are kind of the areas we're looking at. I think you would have seen a team on the floor this fall that 
you know, uh, was better at point scoring, uh, better at being in system in the long rally, not just extending rallies, but being in system and then being able to end rallies. Uh, and then, you know, one thing that we had been preaching these last couple of weeks is just our serving game. We were arguably the best passing team in the, in the Western athletic conference. Uh, if you looked at the metrics and things like that, I can certainly show data to support that. Uh, but we were arguably the worst serving team in terms of scoring points or applying pressure, uh, to our opponents. So we made things a little harder on ourselves. We let our opponents have it a little easier than it needed to be. So we've kind of attacked that as well, trying to just be constantly applying pressure. Um, you know, and we'll see how it turns out. And you, uh, have been very open to player sharing with Kristen Rohr and the beach volleyball program. And it goes both ways. How do you think that's helped your players like Tegan DeFalco get an international beach experience and then your program too? Yeah. You know, my relationship with the beach staff is great. Uh, Kristen and I get along. We, we understand how we can benefit each other in the program. And I think, I think there's certainly a specific type of athlete that you can have that can play both like a Tegan DeFalco. And, you know, you have to understand it and set up parameters so the athletes don't get hurt. Uh, you know, so you're looking out for their welfare and their best interest. And it takes giving and getting from both staffs. So the way we have it set, you know, is when Tegan's with the beach team, she is 100% with a beach team. And, and we just let her go and do her thing. Uh, and then obviously when she's with the indoor team, she's 100% with us. So, but being able to have that relationship with Kristen and the beach staff has allowed us to recruit athletes like Tegan. Uh, and we have some prospects further down the line uh, that are certainly interested in playing both that are very elite kids uh, like Tegan. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the one of the markets that we're looking to dominate is if you have an elite youth volleyball player who wants to be a top 25 indoor kid and a top 25 beach kid, we're one of the few programs where you can probably do both and be there. Um, and that's certainly the market we're going for. So meanwhile... How about away from volleyball? How is how are you operating as a dad and a husband and a coach working from home at times during this? Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's fun, it's challenging, and it's different. I enjoyed seeing more of my kids during the spring than I would normally because of recruiting. Uh, you know, my my cell phone is if if cell phones logged miles or hours, you would certainly see I've put it through the ringer. I mean, I have to recharge this thing three or four times a day. Um, just with all the phone calls and texts and emails and, and stuff to prospects. But it's, uh, you know, doing a lot of work from home and, and virtual recruiting, you know, watching tournaments online because there's no spectators allowed and things like that uh, has allowed me to see some more of my kids at different times. And, and it's, it's, it's always challenging anytime you enter a new phase, but there's no greater pride in my life than, than my family and my children. And I, I think the world of them and I would do anything for them. So having some, you know, looking at this as an opportunity to spend a little more time than I might normally at this time of year, has been a blessing. Uh, but I will say they ask me every day, daddy, daddy, when can we go back to volleyball practice? We want to watch, or when can we go watch a game? So, you know, they miss the other side of the coin. They miss coming to GCU and, and seeing all our fans and the band and, and the athletes and the atmosphere so it's it's been it's been good and challenging both ways. Well, we're we're gonna try to get ready for your girls when they're ready to come, but we know the real hero is Kristen, right? Oh, she she is holds <laughs> our family together. I tell you, I jokingly say I am just the employee at home, and she is the boss. Uh, with, without her mentorship and guidance, you know, it would it would be impossible to 
to do this job. You know, to be, to be a college coach is a very challenging career because of time away and travel and hours. And, you know, during season, I, I watch film from, I don't know, 10, 30, 11 at night till two or three in the morning, every night at home. And just having someone that understands that uh, and is able to hold your family together and be a great supporter and advocate is a blessing. Um, so, you know, w- without her support and guidance, I certainly could not be successful at this job, yet alone uh, function at this job. Well, now that we've let your phone cool off a little bit, we'll let you get back at it. Thank you for sharing your time away from your family for a little bit and the program. And thank you for all the good things you're doing on campus and for joining us on the Lopes Insider Podcast. Thank you very much, Paul. Looking forward to uh, getting back to campus soon. But until then, Lopes up. The Call of the Week, presented by Copper State Credit Union, committed to you. Amid an eight-game winning streak, the Lopes women's basketball team survived its closest call on a visit from UT Rio Grande Valley. With the game tied, the Vaqueros took the last shot of regulation. Seven seconds remaining, UTRGV obviously taking the final shot here. It looks like Tyler's gonna take it. It's stuffed by Deja Daniel and we're headed to overtime. I hope you like free basketball. GCU was in control of the final moments of overtime when the game was tied again. Hey, Bryant sinks both and the Lopes lead by two, 62 to 60. This defense looking to put it in the bag. Johnson from half court, no good. Signed, sealed, and delivered. The Lopes with a huge win capped off by May Bryant's two free throw attempts to send the Havocs and GCU Arena into a frenzy. That was the call of the week presented by Copper State Credit Union, committed to you. Many at GCU could not wait to see what Chris Sissel would do with his first Lopes women's soccer team. That debut will have to wait with fall sports being suspended because of COVID-19. Sissel's success at Kansas City and in 21 years of collegiate coaching bodes well for GCU. The two-time WAC Coach of the Year joins Barry Butel on the Lopes Insider Podcast. We'd like to welcome in Chris Sissel, the uh, head coach at women's soccer here at GCU. And thanks so much for joining us on the Lopes Insider Podcast, Coach. No problem. Excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It has uh, obviously been a, uh, a one for the ages as far as 2020 is concerned. But for you personally, uh, moving from the state of Missouri to Phoenix, uh, the first year as head coach of the, of the women's team here, uh, the transition started, I'm sure, virtually online, trying to get familiar with with uh, your new team. Uh, the the move personally, I mean, there just had to be a ton on your plate. Yeah, it's been a really weird year. It's been a really weird year with, uh, you know, professionally and personally. Um, super excited to be at Grand Canyon University and really happy with our soccer family that we are building here. But I have, uh, I've been a head coach. This is my 22nd year as a head uh, collegiate college soccer coach. So, uh, but I've never thought that I would be doing the majority of my meetings, my practices, and everything by Zoom. So uh, from March we, from March 13th all the way really until July 27th, uh, we really only had contact with our soccer family, with our players, and everything through Zoom calls and Zoom meetings. And so it's great to be back on campus, and everybody's here. You know, pretty much everybody's healthy, and we're. We're able to train together, um, you know, every evening 
uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. as a soccer family right now, and it's it's just awesome. Yeah, the transition, I'm sure you wanted to come in and kind of set the tone and, and start building a culture. Uh, how successful was that, albeit on Zoom? I think it went really well. I was really pleased. I mean, the, the nice thing is I did get to start here in mid-January. So I was here from mid-January till mid-March when, uh, when COVID hit and it kind of really shut us down. So I felt like we had a really good uh, two-month period there of just kind of getting to know everybody, but for them to kind of get used to used to what I'm like as a coach and, you know, what I'm looking for, what I like to do. And then to really everything has been about instilling the family values and uh, creating a real family atmosphere and culture and just try to make sure everybody is, is, you know, enjoying themselves, enjoying soccer, having fun and, and that we're all on the same page moving forward, uh, you know, to make sure that we're the, the best soccer program that we can possibly be on the field, off the field, you know, you know, in the classroom, in the community, spiritually, um, community service. So we've really, uh, really been pleased with the way the girls have uh, adapted to a new coaching staff. Then you kind of get hit with another blow, right? The, the team returns to campus and then uh, word comes out that, that fall sports obviously have been impacted. Uh, how has the team and how have you adjusted to that news? I think everybody's handled it really well. First couple of days, to be honest, it was really, you know, it was really tough and we were really making sure we were looking after everybody's mental health. We've had a couple of Zooms that have uh, really been focused just on the, the mental aspect of the game and the mental health and just making sure that everybody was taken care of and understood how this was going to work, especially for our six seniors. That was really difficult on them. Um, it just was came at a really, you know, tough time. We came in, we moved in on campus. We uh, we had a 72-hour quarantine for everybody. Everybody took the COVID test. Everybody came back negative. Uh, I think we were in our second practice, maybe our second training session, when we officially got the news uh, that the season had been suspended and moved to the spring. Um, but, you know, we're, we're just we're just being positive about everything. We're moving forward. I, I just feel like it's a it's a really long preseason for us, which is a good thing for a new team with a new coach, a new coaching staff trying to establish new goals, new ideas, new cultures. Um, so I think it's you know, it's actually a blessing in disguise. It just gives us more time to prepare, more time to work together um, to get us going in the direction we want to go in. And obviously we wanted to play games um we would have actually if uh, if covid would have never have hit we would have had our first match last night thursday august 20th was supposed to be our very first okay. game of the season so that was kind of crazy to be out at training last night thinking that that could have already been our first match um and now we we know we won't play uh you know a real game against an opponent probably until february maybe january february or maybe not even until march so it does give us a lot of time to really work on things and instill our game plan and our style and our culture and, and just try to make sure everybody is continuing to, to improve uh, at every, every day at every training session. So I think uh, even though we're disappointed, um, you know, we're, we are making sure to make the most of it and to look at the positive side of it. No doubt about it. Nine seasons at Kansas city, three WAC titles, two WAC coach of the year honors your transition uh, in, in uh, at, that helm, you move from the Summit League into the WAC. Um, your tenure there, when this opportunity presented itself, what attracted you to it? 
you had great success at KC. Yeah, I, I mean, I loved Kansas City. Um, you know, we'd been there for a long time. My wife and I, we have four kids. All four of our kids have grown up in Kansas City. Um, not only did I coach at UMKC for nine years, but I also coached at William Jewell College for 12 years, which is a Division II school in Kansas City, where I was the head coach of both the men and the women. Um, and like I said, my, my wife and I met in Kansas City a really, really long time ago. So it was, uh, it, <laughs> it was, uh, it was tough, but I, to, but I, I was ready for a new challenge. I was ready for something new. I think Heather, my wife was ready for something new timing wise, just from a personal standpoint. Um, the timing was perfect with the ages of our kids. Our youngest is now a freshman in college herself. Um, and then, uh, you know, one of the things too, just being honest and being transparent, um, you know, my dad passed away last September, almost a year ago. And, um, I felt like, uh, this was a good opportunity to try something new, move to a new, a new area of the country. And then obviously Grand Canyon University is just phenomenal and just absolutely love the people here, um, you know, Phoenix is unbelievable. Just the, the facilities and amenities and everything that we have available to us. And uh, I'm, I'm just really, really excited to be here. And, and I, I feel like we've got uh, everything in place to make this a first class program and a program that, that everybody at Grand Canyon University and, you know, and all the alums and everybody in Phoenix is going to be extremely proud of. Coach, you mentioned this is your 22nd season as a coach. Is there, I've always wondered, and, and with coaching tenures uh, a couple of decades, is there a common thread? Is there a characteristic that all great teams, great players have that, that you look for, that your staff looks for to recruit? Well, that's a really good question. Yeah, and I, I, I think just a real love and passion of the game. I think it's really important to just absolutely love the game and, you know, be a student of the game and, and want to learn and want, want to get better. Um, and, and it's a it's a team first mentality. It's a team for, you know, it's a team first game. Uh, you, you're not going to have a whole lot of success out there if you're trying to play as an individual. So those are some things that I feel like um, that I look at when I'm recruiting um, to answer your question. And I know my staff, uh, we've got a great coaching staff here at GCU with Edgar Anzaldo and Ben Parman. And I think we're all on the same page with what we're looking for. But I feel like my experience of 22 years and been fortunate to coach a lot of really good teams and a lot of really good players is, is they just they have that absolute love and, and passion for the game and a real drive, a real competitive spirit, um, self-motivated type players that, uh, that really do buy into the family atmosphere and the team first culture. When fans do, and we cannot wait for that day, come out to, to the stadium to see a uh, Chris Sissel coach team, what type of team and what what, what are they going to see? Uh, hopefully they're going to see a lot of fun. I think we usually are a very attacking team. Uh, we very technical, very skilled. Uh, we like to put the ball on the ground and play to feet. We like to play through the midfield. We like to get our width from our outside backs. Uh, we are, we attack from the back as well. Um, you know, usually uh, teams that, w- that I've coached over the, you know, over the last several years have, have been known, like I said, as real skilled, real technical teams that, that like to go forward, that like to score goals, that, that like to entertain. So it's a, it's a lot of fun uh, to watch our style. And I think it's a lot of fun for the players to play our style. I think everybody yeah. likes to take risks, to, to be encouraged, to be dynamic, to be creative, to take people on one-on-one. Um, you know, to really take risks, especially in the attacking third, maybe not so much 
in the defensive third, but in the neutral <laughs> third, yeah, the neutral third, the attacking third, everything goes. You've got the freedom. You've got the green light to take people on, to, to be risky, to, you know, kind of show what you can do and, and be dynamic. Uh, and I think we, we like to get a lot of players forward in the attack to, to, uh, to really kind of surprise, you know, our opponents. So I, I, I think when the fans have an opportunity to come out and watch us play, they're, they're really going to enjoy the passion and love that we play and compete with. They'll be able to see our team concept. They'll be able to see that it's a, a team first mentality, but I think they'll see some, some really good, confident players that are, that are willing to take risks, be dynamic and take people on. And, you know, and you'll, you'll see that we're, we're having fun and we're scoring goals and we're winning matches. Got to love that style of play and not take too many risks inside your own 18. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've had a little bit of chance to, to see the, the returning players. Uh, of course, Marlene came in uh, formerly at ASU and, and Lindsay followed you from KC, who was the WAC Freshman Player of the Year. Just uh, quickly in the time that we have left, uh, your assessment of the team and what what uh, type of players you have to field on the pitch. Yeah, we've got a really good team. And that's the, you know, that's the thing. Like a lot of people want to talk about Marlene and Prokop, and I understand that. And they're very good players, and we're super excited to have them on our team. But we've, we've got a lot of really good players. We've got, a, you know, a full team. And a lot right now it's been really, really fun at training because everyone is competing hard. Uh, you know, we've got 28 players. 28 women on our in our soccer family on our roster and so every day is extremely competitive and what I've been excited about and I, I know the other coaches is each day a new player steps up a new player impresses us someone else shows us what they can do so it's uh it's going to be really fun fall to really try to to mesh and mold and, and get the best out of all 28 of these student athletes and figure out, you know, what is going to be our best formation, our best style. Um, I'd like to play the style I alluded to earlier, but I also know as a coach that you have to do what's best for your current personnel, your current mm. team. And that's what we're still trying to figure out uh, every day in training. But, but I'm, I'm really excited about the girls too, because you, their, their attitude, their effort, their work rate, their desire, the passion that they are showing uh, every day in training is just awesome, and it's uh, and, and it's really contagious, and everybody's everybody's catching it and having fun and working hard. And I, I'm excited knowing that the girls look forward to coming out every evening and training from seven to nine p.m. I know parents and fans they they love to hear a coach uh, say to you know that they adjust to to adjust to uh, their players and play to their strengths. So that, that's great to hear, C certainly from a parent of, of some kids that play soccer as well, to uh, you know, accentuate the positive uh, of what the roster looks like. So there's no doubt about that. No, no, I agree. That's that's one of the things I love about coaching, actually, is you know not just going in and saying, okay, we're going to play a 4-4-2 mm -hmm. every year or 4-3-3 every year. I, I love the using, uh, you know, preseason, I've always thought and I've always told my you know, previous staffs, previous assistant coaches that worked with me that we're going to use this whole time to really, you know, look at everything and experiment and try new things. And then we're going to see, uh, see what's best and see what works best for this team, for this personnel. And I think that also makes it really difficult for other coaches and their teams to prepare for us because they do know that we play a different style, a different way of, of playing almost every season based on who's graduated and, and then who's come in. Well, I remember uh, you had quite the run there a couple of years uh, where the winning streak at KC and you had great success. And I think fans are also going to be excited if the, the soccer rocker comes back, coach. 
uh, <laughs> if, if you don't cut the locks and uh, we got the uh, yep. the 80s, 90s look, the uh, kind of mm-hmm. hockey hair look, I, I think uh, yeah. players would love to have Coach Sissel sporting the mullet. Yeah, the, I had the mullet going for a couple of years. The, I, I referred to it as a soccer rocker. I Love loved it. it. I don't think anyone else did it. I think my uh, I think my wife and kids were kind of tired of it. And right now, it might be a little difficult to sport the soccer rocker in Phoenix when it's 110 degrees every day. Probably a good idea. Coach, thanks for joining us. As always, we look forward to uh, when the team is on the field. And I know I speak for fans and everyone out there. We cannot wait to see the team on the pitch. That's fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate you uh, you having me on. And anytime you want to talk about our soccer family, I'm ready to go. Well, thanks to Tim and Chris for joining us. And uh, good things have come to fruition in their programs. That is for sure. With Sissel, it's happening before even his coach's first game. He's building a special program environment, something we've already seen in Nolan's teams. Time to answer our earlier trivia question. We asked which GCU head coach was a two-time individual national champion in college and... It was cross-country head coach Sarah Slattery. She won the national 5,000-meter indoor title in 2003 for Colorado and followed it up two years later with the outdoor championship in the 10,000. Back then and growing up in Phoenix, she was known as Sarah Gordon for the locals, but her running fame extended past her time at Colorado and into a pro career that was successful. So kudos to track and field head coach Tom Flood for initiating the effort to bring her aboard to GCU. Well, quite an esteemed background like so many of those Lopes head coaches that we uh, know and love. All right, nearly at the end, but not before we check out all the content on GCULopes.com. Paul, what do you got? We wrapped up our basketball newcomer series with a feature and video interview with Tiara Brown, who is joining her sister Tiana here as Molly Miller's first recruit in that program. Uh, You, of course, can go there like we mentioned earlier and check out what the GCU men's basketball schedule is that was just unveiled. And look out for a feature on baseball player Juan Colado, who was a breakout star for the shortened season last year in baseball and was one of the few who was able to have a a big summer playing in the Southeast. Well, that'll do it for Episode 14. Thanks, everybody, for listening and supporting the podcast. Take care, Lopes Nation. Thanks for listening to the Lopes Insider Podcast, presented by Commonwealth Insurance, the way insurance should be. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform and at gclopes.com slash podcast. Lopes up. Lopes up.